your Locked On Avalanche, your daily podcast on the Colorado Avalanche. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to the Locked On Avalanche Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Chris Maselli. With me, as always, Mr. Shaggy Von Doom, Kyle Sullivan, and the Colorado Avalanche get one point in Minnesota. Uh, obviously, you always want the, the two, especially against Minnesota, especially on their home ice. And the Avs looked like they were kind of trending down, going down that road of getting that extra point when they took a lead in the third. But this is kind of what makes this rivalry so good is it's just really never over. So uh, we'll get to all of that and then some. Follow the show on social media outlets, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche on Twitter, Locked on Avalanche on Instagram, questions, comments, concerns, opinions, Locked on Avalanche at gmail.com and follow the show over on our YouTube channel. Hit subscribe, get notified whenever we go live with a new episode. And obviously, thank you for making this your first listen of the day. All right. So the Avs lose this one in overtime. But I mean, the way that it started was a little bit. Not much going on. Abs were getting a lot of shots on net in the first, but they there was nothing really there. It was they were gonna have to sneak one by them to to really get a goal. And then like everything I felt picked up in the second. The shots picked up more. You had some pretty good quality chances. The the well, we'll get to the the big fight later. But, you know, just the the physical nature of the game really started to ramp up. And that was more of what you expect from an Avalanche Wild game. And, you know, they, they had it. They had it in their hands. They had another game where they outshot their opponent uh, 42 to 29. Everything kind of was trending the way of the Avalanche. And, you know, you, to use the phrase, that's hockey. Yeah, the... First period, honestly, I, it felt like both teams were really getting to figure out each other and their rosters. Like this is the first <laughs> appearance since the trade deadline, and you got to see both of these rosters and what they could do. And that second period when everything started to really, really ratchet up. And then that third period is honestly where you felt like this is really going to break open. And there was a moment that you thought the Avalanche were going to walk away with a win. And then Hartman came back and tied it up. And you really were like very disappointed with EJ and putting us in that bind. And we did not pull it out in overtime. Yeah, I know the the Eric Johnson thing is what a lot of people are going to be talking about. And rightly so. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't make that. And I just wonder how much of it was the physical nature of the game kind of got to him and anybody else. Cause it's not the ab style to really play physical first. You know what I mean? They, like th- we've said it before, they don't mind mixing it up, but Minnesota just, I feel like has a way of getting under your skin. And when, when you're presented with a situation like Eric Johnson was of, you know, maybe cross-checking a guy, he shouldn't cross-check. He's going to do it to maybe try to get away with it. And you're not going to, you're not going to at that point in the game. And maybe that's another conversation is like, should it be called? Yeah. I I mean, by the, by the letter of the law, it should be at that stage in the game. Should it be called? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys where you shouldn't just swallow your whistle because it's late in the game. A foul is a foul. So, you know, you have to call it no matter when it happens. But and Eric Johnson's got to know better. He's got to know better. And this honestly has a lot of parallels to how they played in that Boston game. You remember how Taylor Hall uh, hit Nathan McKinnon in the face and he had to go off and he was bloodied. And then EJ was headhunting after that. Um, yeah, well, it felt wow. very similar to that. <laughs> go ahead. Can you hear me? No. Yeah, I was, I was saying it yeah. felt very similar to that. And honestly, you know, on Jost even made it feel a little bit weirder that that even occurred. Like you th- would figure there's no bad blood between those two. And I don't know if it's because Nathan McKinnon got, had to get physical with Dumba earlier in the game. But ever since that moment that Nathan McKinnon got into that fight, EJ started that thing again. And hmm. this is just a weird turn for EJ this year. Yeah. And as far as, you know, the physical nature of the game, you know, the, the big one was uh, Dumba and McKinnon mixing it up. You thought McDermott and Delorier would, and you saw them talking before the game started. And maybe they just squashed whatever they had, maybe because Delorier is on a new team. And maybe they talked to him about that. Maybe they're like, you know, we're not going to play that here. This is too important. You know, we, we got to get every point we need. We need you out there. Even it's, you know, we can't afford to lose you for, five. I don't know what the conversation was, but for whatever reason, they didn't go at it. And maybe, maybe it's because their, their last fight was maybe like the best it's going to get. So they're just like, all right, we're, we're done. We don't have to do this every single time. And I'm fine with it. But you knew that there was going to be some physicalness to this game and it was in the form of Nathan McKinnon and, and Matt Dumba. I am fine with Nathan McKinnon taking matters into his own hands, especially at that stage in the game. Some people didn't like it because they're like, you need him out there for five minutes. You know, you can't afford to lose him for five minutes. My point is twofold. Like, number one, I have no problem doing that because the Avs needed some sort of jumpstart. And I was thinking that maybe McDermott will now get into a fight with Delorier just to keep that going and to get his team jump started turned out to be Nathan McKinnon being the one doing that. And it worked, you know, his team did have a little bit more jump after that. You can't let Dumba take a hit like that on Rantanen. I'm not going to get into if it was, I, I, you know, it's a very fun uh, Twitter chain of uh, comments that is, is on there for where they're Minnesota wild fans found our uh, our Twitter page and, you know, they kind of went off on it. I never called it dirty. I called it garbage. I thought it was a garbage hit. You have one guy who's not even looking at you and you go high on him. And you did see a another uh, view where he hit his head. OK, like we're not going to have this whole because where your allegiance lies, you're going to say like it's it's not a head hit or a high. Like it's bullcrap. The dude hit him high. And fine, like th- then then gloves are off and McKinnon did what he had to do. So I'm glad that he did it. I'm glad that he did it. And and the final point I'll make is the Avs have been without Nathan McKinnon for a lot of games this year, and they've been just fine. So they can go without him for five minutes in a game. Yeah, and, and it's good that Nathan McKinnon is, you know, into that absence that Lance Goggs left, like, He's kind of the pseudo captain right now, and he's taken up for Miko. Like there, there were a lot of chippy hits all throughout the game, and I mean that's the mo for Minnesota. That's how they play, and 
This is back-to-back physical games that the Avalanche have had to play. And for Nathan McKinnon to answer the bell and say, okay, enough is enough, like, that's that's good on him. It shows a lot of leadership, but the EJ, uh, it still boggles the mind why he felt like at the moment while time is ticking away to go after Jost in something that, I mean, he's a veteran. He's been around the block a time or two. He could avoid that hit. He knows what's going to happen when he makes that hit, especially in a game like this. Right, exactly. So there's more to get to. Obviously, the officiating, people aren't happy about the officiating in this game, especially the JT Comfort call. But, uh, you know, we'll get into kind of like the meat of the game, especially, you know, the overtime, which was not very long. But first, we're going to hear from Built Bar. You know Built Bar. You love Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market, including their brand new Built Bar Puffs. If you haven't tried any of those, you are missing out on a healthy version of a marshmallow. It's the first ever protein-infused marshmallow bar. They're fluffy and they're marshmallowy. And it's not just a protein bar. It's more like a treat and covered in 100% chocolate. And the puffs are a fan favorite with some of their great flavors, cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. And like I said, all of the bars, including the puffs, are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're low-calorie, high-protein. Replace your candy bar with these. They're better than a typical candy bar, that which can be from anywhere from two to 300 calories, where most Built Bars are 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of your order. Once again, that promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, the JT Comfort call, that that one was was kind of lame. And they got him for holding when his arm was more or less on the back shoulder of I think it was Kaprizov who he had his his hand on. And you know, and, and I was agreeing with it wasn't Mosier, um it was Rycroft in in the in the uh first intermission saying like maybe the line of sight that the ref had is what made him call it. And and maybe that's it. Maybe it just boils down to the ref didn't have a good uh, viewpoint. But do you call it then? Do you just call it on on a on a guesstimation that well from where I'm stand, standing, I I think he got him, I think he held him, so I'm going to call it. Or should you say like I don't have a good enough angle, I can't call that. I can't just call it on an assumption. Yeah, definitely, especially if you make it to this level of officiating, you don't make calls off assumptions. Like that's that's taboo when you don't do that. And it's one of those let it go if you're not a hundred percent sure, because it's going to get out of hand either way. And you, honestly, these teams can handle their self. Like you know it's going to be a physical game because of the history between these two teams. If, if you want to try and get out in front of these calls and try and limit the physicality with 50-50 calls that you're not sure of, that's not the way to do it because it's going to get out of hand like it did all game long. Yeah. And uh, Matt brings up a really good point. He says the thing that bothers me about the AJ penalty or the EJ penalty, sorry, is that he spent the last five years or so watching Jost draw those penalties for the abs. It's 100 percent right. Jost was a master at doing that stuff. This was I don't think Jost was really trying to draw a penalty. I think it was Eric John just made a boneheaded play. But I, I get the point that Matt's trying to make and, and he's right. 
and I and honestly, you think it's kind of a size thing because like Jost is so undersized when it comes to EJ, and you think like EJ should know better. So the fact that he put himself in that position and made that hit, it automatically looked dirty and like there was something behind it. But you would see like the facial reactions between the two afterwards. You knew it was just bad place, bad time, bad move. There was no like hatred and like spitting back and forth. So yeah, yeah. it was just Joe's <clears throat> being undersized. He'll draw that every day. And Brent with another good point saying my only issue with the game was that the actual penalties were not being called, but the soft ones, the whistles came flying. And I said the EJ to me was kind of meh. Uh, Jost was already going down. I mean, you can make that argument, but I, I, I'm more of the the side of EJ has got to know better and, and not even yeah. take that chance. Because when they see that, uh, the refs aren't going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that and think like, well, they're not going to try to guesstimate where Jost is and going down, but they're just going to call it. They're going to call it. But he's he's right. I mean, it was a physical game. When you have a physical game like this, you're going to call those softies? Come on, guys. Yeah, It's the calling the calls in between. Like, it's not going to help things. And if you're calling those soft calls that everybody would, it's only going to make things worse. Like, call the clear, like, you know this is this is impending play. Call those. Don't call the 50-50s because you're going to just make tensions rise to the roof. You're going to get Will Smith slapped when you do stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not going to go there. Um, as far as stats for the game go, the Avalanche, you know, the shots on goal, 42 to 29. They're continuing to get really good looks. Um, faceoffs almost split down the middle, 49% for the Avs, 51 for the Wild. And when you look at some individual players, again, you have Nazem Kadri finally had a good day in uh, on the faceoff circle. I don't think he really got kicked out of too many, but he had 64%. Sturm continues to do well, 56%. JT Comfer, 75%. So you have those three guys, 64, 56, and 75. And you're like, how did they lose the faceoff percentage battle? Well, it's because you had Alex Newhook at 33%. You had Darren Helm at 43%. Miko Rantanen at 25%. And Nathan McKinnon at 22 those really really dragged the numbers down in favor of you know the wild just by a by a smidgen but you would think you know if, if i told you who was the worst in the faceoffs for the abs and i know ranton doesn't take a lot of them but mckinnon's got to be better than 22 percent on the faceoff dot that's that's key in, in certain areas obviously and honestly, if you go back and look what those faceoffs they lost, it's not by skill. They were muscled off the puck. They were lifted off the puck. And it was one of those when the puck gets dropped, everybody kind of collapses on that puck. And that's honestly, that's that's becoming a little bit of a problem. I agree. Um, and, you know, time on ice, which is something that we look at all the time, too. Yeah. Colligliano is Cogliano. Sorry, I threw an extra Italian syllable in his name. Um, <laughs> you know, he hasn't hit 10 minutes yet. So he's at 926. Helm at 927. And then you had McDermott at 733. Andre Burakovsky, shy of 15 minutes. So I don't know. And, and, this the, the thing about this game was it was one of those games that you just watching it as a fan, 
you get so into all of like your emotions take over and 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 I stopped watching the game where I'm how I normally do and and I, and I kind of like if a specific line is out there I'm watching that line seeing what they're doing are they taking good angles are they cycling on defense are they playing do they getting in shooting lanes and I just got into fan mode beat the freaking wild is kind of what I got into and I stopped looking at the minutia things of the game so I don't know if Andre Burakovsky was moved down a line what did that happen in the game did you notice anything i didn't notice anything different like i did see a lot more abe kubel than i thought i would see but i don't really remember seeing berkey being demoted at any point yeah i mean 14 minutes that's he should be a couple more than that you had nathan mckinnon with 1948 but he spent five minutes in the penalty box um, you know, and your defenders are pretty much where they're at with Makar and Taves over 28 minutes. So as far as time on ice goes, it was a little bit better spread around. And I think that kind of, uh, uh, again, this is the avalanche when they do that, they just seem to play better because you're not putting so much emphasis on those top guys. I hope they can continue doing that. But as far as, you know, the, the overtime goes when you, you know, the, the, the Eric Johnson penalty happened with like 30 seconds left. So it carried over into the overtime. And because of that, you know, it doesn't stay five on four in the overtime. It goes to four on three. And what did the wild need? 15 seconds. I mean, they are a a top heavy team and those guys can give the avalanche fits. And when they had last change, they were kind of doing that during the, the regulation periods. But in overtime, it was like, it was like surgical. It, <laughs> there was really nothing that, that Kemper could do. I thought had a, had a pretty good game. Um, they're just, they're just that good when they, when they have their top lines out there. And you mentioned that the wild are top heavy. This is why we preach episode after episode. We need production from lines three and four, because when you play top heavy teams, lines one and two are going to cancel themselves out. Lines three and four are worth it. And if you could get production from lines three and four, that's a weak spot for teams like Minnesota. And if you could get scoring from there, we wouldn't have to be in situations where we have to take the games to overtime. Yeah, and, and when you have like your your fourth line out there that they ice the puck and they're tired, you know, every team, there's going to be a discrepancy between the first line and the fourth line. It's kind of... Re- it really rises to the top when you have a team that's as top heavy as Minnesota is and you have the Avalanche fourth line out there. That's going to be a struggle for them. Like and it, like I said, it would be a struggle for any team, but especially against Minnesota. Kaprizov, he, he scares the daylights out of me, man. He's that good. And I don't yeah. like sitting here kind of waxing poetic about a Minnesota Wild player. But that dude has so much skill and so much game. You really have. There's very few players that I feel that you constantly have to be, uh, you know, aware of on the ice. He is hands down one of them. That guy can play. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got a a never ending motor, and he's one of those. He's got like that that Zegers type creative, where he kind of breaks outside the mold to get what he needs to get done done. He's just an incredible talent, and to our disappointment, he plays Oda, and he's going to only get better, and that team is only going to get better. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, we got a sound check to get to. Um, I know we have haven't had to do too many losses with sound checks, but uh, we're going to have to do one right now. So songs that best describe the loss to the or the overtime loss to the Minnesota Wild, which these songs will be going up on the LOP and sound check set list or playlist over on Spotify, which you can follow that. What's your latest addition, sir? Just because it's the state of the rivalry, the emotions felt in this game, when this one hits the playlist, it's going to be one of the harder ones. Hmm. Metaphorically, screw you by <laughs> the band Napalm Death. Napalm Death. <laughs> but I don't want, I don't want, the, I wish we could take like the metaphorically part out, just straight up screw you. <laughs> Uh, you're going to have to read the lyrics for this one. You're yes, not going to understand yes. them, but read the lyrics. Right. You'll understand. There's no metaphor in there. <laughs> this could, yeah, this could be, that's easily probably the hardest. I mean, I know we have a Slipknot song on there somewhere on that set list. This is uh yeah. Napalm death is, uh, they're, 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 I mean, if you can't under figure out what they're about just by the name alone, um, we should have a parental advisory thing on this thing too. But like, we keep the show very P- PG, but the set list I can't vouch for that. That's uh, that's a whole different animal. Yeah, this is a this is a top shelf sound check selection right here. Yeah, uh, a buddy of mine always said he goes, "I want to start a, a death metal band, and the band name would be uh, Ineligible Font." And I'm like, "Dude, that is the greatest name because." Every- <laughs> Every death metal band has a font that you can't read what the band name actually is. Like that's the most brilliant name. Um, we got some people. Uh, Brent, <laughs> Brent with uh, he's going. Oh, hang on, it, it it jumped on me. Here we go. He's got uh, "What I've Done" by Lincoln Park, and that's specifically for Eric Johnson. <laughs> the Transformers song. That, yeah, and then uh, Matt puts up uh, Tom Petty. You got lucky. Love that. Yeah, I mean, I know there's there's always luck involved in, in hockey, but for me, uh, I'm going with a, a band. For me, it's a local band. This band got started around my hometown. They got started in Saratoga, New York, uh, in high school. These two, this it's a male and female duo. You ever hear of Fantagram? Probably heard of Fantagram. Fantagram. I don't think I have. Yeah, they have some bit. She actually was dating uh sean white for a while the the, the flying snowboard. tomato yeah 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 like they they split up a few years ago but yeah they they were uh they're a hometown band for me and they have a song called cruel world and uh that's what i'm going with because it's just when you when you lose to the wild like that when you have a lead and you lose to them and it's that you know physical nature style of game when you really should have won that game that is what the hockey gods will do. They nothing is guaranteed in the world of hockey. And I even put up something that I have one buddy who's a big Rangers fan. My other buddy's a big uh, hurricanes fan. And they went, they played against each other. I think last week, the hurricanes completely dominated that game from beginning to end. And the Rangers won it two to nothing. And Mm -hmm. it's just, that's, and I put up something saying like, that's hockey. And this is hockey. Mm -hmm. Like you you feel good about the, how the avalanche played with all the shots on goal they had the lead 
things were looking okay. And, you know, the cruel world of hockey that it is said no thanks. So. And, you know, honestly, it, it speaks a lot to what the Avalanche have built to this point and the lead that they have in the standings where when these quote-unquote games come up, it doesn't really throw a wrench into the plans. Like, if this if this was a loss for the Wild, like, this would really hinder what they're trying to do with the playoffs. Like, our loss to Vancouver the other day, they needed that win. Mm. Yeah. Like, what the Avalanche have built, like, they can drop these games and it doesn't derail what they're building. So many other teams are reliant on every win and every effort, night in, night out. The Avalanche have built, especially because of what they did in January, they have built themselves a comfortable lead where they could still figure things out and adjust without worrying about where they stand in the playoff. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, some changes there are still to come. Obviously, we know what's going on with Landis Gog and Gerard. Uh, Bowen Byram has traveled with them, but we don't know if we're going to see him in the next uh, the next couple of games. We also don't know still what's going on with Lankanen. I cannot figure that out, uh, nor, nor, you know, it's not something that I do with on a daily basis. We don't really do with immigration policies uh, in our line of work, but you got to just feel like, why is this taking so long? This is going on a week now. This is going, and does this really happen? I'm not hearing things where it's like, this is, this is usual. This is normal. It just takes this long. I don't, I'm hearing kind of the opposite. I'm like, I don't know why it's taking so long. And the thing really stinks is like, he's on the practice ice. He's here. What's going on? I know if if it's an immigration problem, why is he even in the country? Like, exactly. Why is it? Why he has papers that he's got to fill out. I did try to Google stuff and they were talking about, you have to have a, I, you know, the world that I live in, it's like, it's like a, a sponsor, but it's not a sponsor, but someone that's like, backing you saying like, yes, this person, I vouch for this person more or less to be here. I don't know if it's different for a hockey player, but the weird thing is he just came from Canada, obviously. And then it's not, it's not an immigration thing from Canada. It's from his hometown or his home country, but he was just in Canada. He got traded from Montreal and the abs. Their next game is in (laughs) Calgary. He can't even go there. He can't even go to the country. They just came from where all his papers went through. I don't get any of this. This is turning into that movie, The Terminal. And Lincoln is just living in an airport terminal because he can't go back. He's just kind of stuck. Uh, that's funny. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it, it's it's literally, <clears throat> I get the impression that he is, he is like at the the arena. I I don't know. I've never seen pictures, but I'm I'm a, it just feel like he's in uniform, right up until puck drop. And because if those papers come through, he doesn't have to get dressed. He'll go right on the bench. And if puck drop happens, he gets undressed, gets back into his suit and we'll wait till next game. Like it is that like finite of him being able to play that, uh, that that's just what's the image in in my head is that he is ready to go right up until uh, opening puck drop. So we we'll we'll see. I guess we got to wait another day. And if it goes through great, if not, this is getting ridiculous now. It's getting ridiculous because the guy you traded for has now missed out on a handful of games because 
paperwork can't go through in the world we live in now paperwork is taking this long come on send an email don't take that long um all right peter baugh had uh he asked jared bednar bednar said he didn't like the call on eric johnson at the end of the game so um well i shouldn't say i shouldn't phrase it like that because the way that peter baugh from the athletic writes it he says jared bednar did not like the call on eric johnson at the end of, of regulation when asked about it all bednar said was no comment so if you're saying no comment, most of the time you're going to take that as I didn't like it, because if you're OK with it, you would say so. You would kind of maybe give a different answer. The no comment answer is I, I didn't like it. So, you know, he might be on the on the side of uh, who what was it, Matt, who said that he didn't like the uh, or Brent did Brent Brent. He Brent, you think yeah. I think you got Coach Bednar on your side. What do you think? <clears throat> I've. Honestly, after hearing that, it's almost twofold. Like, he didn't like the call. And with no comment, it feels like when he gets to the locker room, things will be addressed. Because I think yeah. he also feels like that was kind of boneheaded. Yeah, agreed. Um, Miko Rantanen, again, this is gone from Peter Baugh, said the Avs could have made Cam Talbot's life a little bit more difficult. The Avs did have 42 shots, but Rantanen believes they could have gotten more traffic in front of the net. What does that scream to you? We need Gabe Landeskog and <laughs> exactly. to get in the slot. Yeah, exactly. That screams, uh, you know, we'll be okay when when Landeskog comes back. And Miko Ranton also taking the high road on something. He said, didn't seem too pleased with the offici- officiating. And his quote was, if I comment too much, I'll be in big trouble. So I think... Uh, you know, things were said in the locker room and Jared Bednar was probably saying, I know you guys are frustrated, uh, but I'd rather you not get fined. You're not going to get suspended for saying something about the rest, but let's just uh, keep this bottled in and then take it out in, in the next game. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, this has been a narrative the Avalanche have had many times this year with officiating all the way back to that Nashville too many men in the ice. Like, I'm pretty sure it's already an understood at this point. It doesn't matter if you complain. Nothing's going to change. Just say the bare minimum and let's just move on to the next game because I feel like it's a put it behind you, move on to the next game mentality in that locker room, and I feel like they don't want to dwell on those penalties. They just want to move on. Agreed. Agreed. Nothing you can do about it from, you know, times like this. So, so you, you get ones that go your way and, you know, sometimes you're not going to get ones that, that, you know, that go against you and you just have to deal with it. And, and for the avalanche, you know, playing as, as they, they did and having the opportunity to win the game, if, if, if how the rest were calling the game and it was kind of one-sided and the, and the avalanche were, were out of it because of that, you, we'd be talking a little bit different, but, they overcame all of that stuff and had a lead in the third period, late in the third period. I think there was like seven, eight minutes left or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So they had the opportunity. And obviously you went into overtime, even though you were on a penalty kill for the overtime, which is a lot more difficult in overtime. You still had opportunities to win it. You got a point. I'm not that broken up about it with the exception of it's, it's Minnesota. That that's the one reason why it's, it's a little, uh, a tough pill to swallow. But other than that, I'm, I'm happy with how the avalanche are playing. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you get a chance of, you get a chance at revenge on April 29th 
to win this season series against Minnesota. So we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes from there. You don't want to lose against your rival, especially in division, but you get one more chance towards the end of April. And I agree with Matt. <clears throat> he said PO'd uh, Avs going into Calgary. I like that, and I agree with you, sir. I do. I do. I, I like that. So uh, day off on Monday, and then, yeah, in Calgary. The first time it's in Calgary. So that's Tuesday night. So uh, Kyle and I will wrap this one up. We will be back tomorrow to discuss anything that's going on. I'm sure there's going to be some Arturi Lincoln in uh, conversation at least i hope there is i don't want this to be a thing where it's like like a, how i described like down to the last minute i want this done like tomorrow so the guy knows that he can prepare for that you have to mentally prepare for a game so you know give him some some time to to do that and not just right up until you know puck drop so all right um that's gonna wrap it up for us today and like i said we'll be back tomorrow but for now, thank you for making this your first listen of the day. That's always appreciated. Go follow us on social media. And, uh, yeah, we'll guys see you guys tomorrow. So he's Mr. Shaggy Von Doom, Kyle Sullivan. I am Chris Maselli. This is the Locked On Avalanche Podcast. And we will talk to you guys tomorrow. Go, Abs, go.